Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, all in the same room again this week. The Ashes dreams are over, series has finished. Um, we did a little bit of a wrap up um, from all over the world last week, Fiji uh, and Auckland. Um, we've still got an, a bit of aftermath to come in this podcast. What will the Ashes 2024 starting lineups look like? Overrate issues in the World Test mm, Championship. Give the Gibbs on giving. We've also got a little bit of a World Cup watch. Kane Williamson's injury is back in the nets on his Instagram, etc. Some Australian squad news as well. Manus Labashain axed from the one-day international squad. And then I've got any other business all coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Very politely, and to be honest, it was almost a diktat. You want to open the pod. So without further ado... We're gonna we're, we're gonna hand over me and Lippy. We've got no idea what's about to come. It no, could be a resi- could be a resignation, um, retirement <clears throat> from international podcasting. No, but no, no what, like we'll that. hand over nothing to you. Like that. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout out, a message of love and support to one of the Auckland cricket community that's doing it tough at the moment. Um, he's a member of the Lip Readers Cricket Club, who's going through a health battle. Adam and I have played a couple of games. I think you even you played one or two games for the the Lip Readers as a fill in over the years, Stuart. I won't. Name him to embarrass him, uh, but for the Lip Readers Cricket Club, we're all behind you, mate, and uh, we give you our best love and support as you go through this tough fight, and um, I'm sure we'll see you on the other side of it very, very soon. So I just wanted to start off that uh, love and support message uh, for for that young man, a beautiful fella, uh, a great cricketer, but a a beautiful human being in every sense of the word, and uh, we wish him all the best, and our love and thoughts and prayers are with you, fella. Hear, hear. Baldy, we're going to kick off, I think, with the Ashes aftermath. I know Lippy, as normal, has got reams and reams of paper here. Mm-hmm. Um, off camera, we have a, an A1 flip chart with um, a, a bunch of stuff on, which I'm sure we're going to come to. But uh, look, I guess we've got you know a week or so after the dust has settled on this Ashes series. There's still a few talking points. Um, there is an investigation into the ball know, change, apparently. Um, so if you're Ricky Ponting, you get things happen, right? Well, exactly. So the ICC taking a look into uh, into that and, and protocols, etc. It come out in the press, I think, that there's even a, a whisper that the ball is from a batch from two or three years ago. The manufacturer have vehemently denied that and have said that they want to get involved. Um, As have Surrey, I think. Yeah, I think to, Surrey have said there's no way that it's a 2018-19 ball. That's yeah, because the, the, the balls go to the ground is my understanding. Yep, that's correct. Um, okay. we've, we've then also got, I suppose, um, look, I guess, a couple of retirements, obviously off the back of the test match. Um, that sort of uh, played out a little bit more in the, in the media. We've also got both teams being fined from an overrate perspective. So mm. from a possible 60 points, um, England come away with just not nine points given their over eight fines um so i, I don't know where we want to I, I don't know where we want to start but I, I suppose the yeah the the, the kind of uh, the obvious point is probably those couple of what i would say the relatively minor points before we come on to maybe what the ashes lineups look like in 2024 down under um but yeah thoughts on look i guess the over eight piece and the ball piece to, to start with where are you at with the over eight stuff because i know you're normally very harsh on over eight penalties we need to be doing something about this stuff but then and i'm in a similar camp like it's no good to have 80 overs of cricket all this kind of stuff that's going on but then you look at that points table and you see Stuart broad's comments and i mean obviously he's going to say that when you know england plays that series they played a an excellent series, very entertaining cricket. They get nine points from it. I think. I think. Uh, is, am I right to say that if they'd have play, played a nil-nil draw, and uh, that it would have been even worse, right? 
the, anyway, they they basically get almost no points from this series. Mm. They end up with sixteen percent or something of whatever the the points they could have had. Mm. But what's the alternative? Like the needs, the whole point of all of these penalties is there needs to be some you know jeopardy, some actual reason for them to you know think okay, well we need to bowl our overs faster. What do we do if we don't take away points and don't find them? Yeah, and look, probably the other point just before we sort of lean into you know how we how we sort of venge retribution on on the teams for uh, <laughs> for missing their overrates. Uh, the Australians get fined for the Old Trafford Test match mm-hmm. where two days was lost to rain. Mm. Um, so it, it seems bizarre that you, you know you're not even completing that you know completing the Test match and you're obviously getting fined on a, on an innings by innings basis. Look, I I, I guess the, the the question is a lot of the media now talk about. You know, was did the fan, you know, that you would have polled on the way out of the ground feel as if they hadn't been entertained during the course of those test matches and mm. uh, as a result of the overrates? And they'd probably you'd probably have to say that fans are walking away from all of the games saying, Yeah, I've been right royally entertained throughout yep. the course of the series. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um the second point, though, for me is, you know, I, I have long been an advocate of making this an in-game penalty. I, I don't think that having it as a uh, fine um, and, and points deducted has really been enough of a disincentive for the teams so far. You know, Australia missed out um, on the World Test Championship final the first time round, the, mm-hmm. the, the one that obviously was contested between India and New Zealand because of overrates. Yep. And they were, and then, and let's put it into perspective, into context. I think Australia were fined four points, and that was enough for them to miss the World Champ- Test Championship final. Yeah, a fine of ten points for Australia, and I think it was nineteen for England. That's a very, very yeah. significant penalty. And I don't want to say it prevents Australia or England from contesting that World Cup final, but that's a huge, huge impact, right? That's a huge in, in fine. A, in a five-match series, definitely, when you look to look <clears throat> at those percentage points. Mm. I, and I think the other thing is it, it just doesn't seem... It doesn't seem right to me that that's going to be the rule across the whole of the Test Championship um, cycle where there's a percentage of games that are going to be played on the subcontinent yeah. where there's lots and lots of spin and therefore the likelihood is that over eights are going to be better in those games. You'd hope so. It, it, it's sort of almost disincentivizing having, you know, a, a two, you know, two fantastic pace attacks going up against each other mm-hmm. over the course of five, you know, a five test match series. So, I, I'm softening in terms of, I suppose, the, the fact that I, I think there needs to be something done to take away those um, draconian penalties after the fact. Mm. Um, but I would still advocate, if we genuinely think that 90 overs in the day is the number that we need to get to, um, I think they need to look at how we have in-game penalties. And, and, and look, to be perfectly honest, it isn't just the bowling side now that are affecting the flow of the game. Yeah. It's very much both teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we often joke about it. I've, you know, I've, I've talked about, but you know, at the end of the day, the bloke carries a kit bag, the size of my kit bag, just full of gloves for, <laughs> for a test match, uh, a test match series. So um, jokes aside, it is a problem that literally you will see a wicket fall in the first over of a session and there's three, four, twelfth men. Mm. That's probably incorrect, isn't it? It'd be the twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth men. But um, th- there's four or five people coming onto the ground. Guys are having drinks and towels and mm. tablets and you know energy gels after after one ball. It's bloody ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to jump in here because I, I, I'm with you. The in-game penalty is the only penalty that makes sense. It's a sporting contest, and one team, if they're slowing down the game, the only people 
that are, well, not other than the fans, the people that are really being dis- disadvantaged are the opposition, right? Yeah. And the opposition get no benefit really from a post-game fine or, or you know, World yeah. Test Championship points, points deduction. So in-game penalties are the way forward, um, you know, whether it's, you know, 10, 10 runs off for a batsman who wants a batter who wants gloves brought out to them in the middle of a session. If you want to have a 12th man enter the field for whatever reason, that's a five, 10 run penalty, like whatever it is, it has to be some kind of penalty for the fielding or batting side in the context of the game to prevent all the extra stoppages and what have you. And then you have to have some kind of formula that is formula that is fair, that is either a runs or a fielding penalty or something for a team that doesn't bowl their overs. And umpires have to step in, right? Because batters can slow the game down and, and everyone does it. You know, everyone from club cricket to international cricket will garden, will check, you know, whatever. There are many, many ways to slow the game down. Yeah. So the umpires have to play a part in that as well. I saw Nessa Hussain talking about uh, the bowling side just having to complete the overs required for that session for that session to be finished. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously bowling sides will not <laughs> want to be out there for, you know, if they eat into their lunchtime and they get a 10-minute break for lunchtime, they'll then that means they've got to go straight back out in the field for another session. I do think that the batters are slightly disadvantaged by that nest, you know, sometimes yep. if they bat through a session or something, I'm sure they need a break as well. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think there are lots of creative ideas out there, but we haven't. Yeah, we're not getting we, it as this at the stage. Yeah, I don't think we'll, we'll land on necessarily what the the solution is. I, I, yeah, I don't think that that would be an option. If you look at, for example, that Test match where Australia were batting really, really well, they wouldn't have wanted to come off in that session, <laughs> and England would have absolutely wanted to come off. But it could have gone the other way as well. The batting side could be losing three, four, five wickets. Fielding side have been slow bowling their overs, yet taking wickets. The batting side would be like, now nah, we want to get off now and have a little break. We don't want to carry on until mm. until the end of this. And I think, as I said, I do think it is now both teams that are slowing the game down. It's not just the fielding side that can control that. Um, you know, the only way to stop that would be when the bowler's ready, he runs in and bowls. If the batsman's off at mid-wicket getting a pair of gloves, then you've got you've got a you've got a bowl out option. Non-stop cricket. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and again, that's that's even in my uh, suggestions, that one's that one's a little bit ludicrous. So, but I, I do think it needs to be that in-game penalty, whether it's runs, whether it's a little zone, you know, a tactical zone. And if you're a fielding player, you can go off and you can go and have a drink and you can go and have a rest, but you fill with ten. Or you fill with nine, mm-hmm. um, and if I agree. It, uh, and if Completely it's your keeper, agree. you don't have a keeper, um, and, and they wouldn't do it at that point. I don't think. Yeah. Yep. Or they'd run drinks on. They put a guy at fine leg for an over. If you want to go get a drink? Do, yep. the, do the old school thing that you do in club cricket. Go down to fine leg or third man for an over. Yep. Get yourself a gel pack. Get yourself a banana. Back on the field and away off you shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Or off to KFC if you exactly. if, you, if you need to. If you need the colonel. Moving on. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the ball change. Baldy, I'll come to you mm. first because I think clearly. Clearly, it impacted that you know that game it, um, in the sense that certainly the statistics from Crickvis suggested it did a little bit more um, after that. Uh, yeah, thirty-five over uh, brand new rock came on. Mm. Um, but yeah, your your genuine thoughts, having had a little bit of time to reflect. Yeah, I mean the ball behaved, looked and behaved differently, and the, and the challenge is that the ball clearly looked different. Now, whether or not the umpires had a like for like replacement, and what we do about that in Test cricket, when you know all you've got as a replacement as a brand new cherry, is maybe something that um, the ICC and the and the lawmakers at the MCC, um, 
you know, revise as, as, as a result of this, right? And, and ultimately, what do we want to do? We want to replace a ball that is roughly the same look and feel and, and the same age with something that's, that's similar. Um, I don't think in this case this one was similar. I think that the, um, the change in behaviour is one of the beautiful vagaries of cricket, as is weather and meal breaks and, you know, overnight rest and, and all the rest of the weird and wonderful things that, that make this game the unique sport that it is. I don't think it changed the outcome of the match, but I think that it its behaviour was different enough that people are going to be talking about it. Mm. And if we get a slightly more consistent um, interpretation of that going forward, then great. The reality is that no one changes a cricket ball. I think I said this last week. No one changes a cricket ball that's swinging and going around corners, right? So the only way for a fielding side with a ball change is, is up almost by design, unless, you know, Ravichandran Ashwin wants one with a flat surface that he can kind of land it on the edge of or something like that. But, mm. um, yeah, I, I, I think that um, now that Ricky Ponting's made a big deal out of it, uh, everyone's making a big deal out of it. But ultimately, this this happens sometimes in cricket, right? Sometimes you get the rub of the green. Sometimes the ball gets changed and it does something different. It's going to happen for Australia against Australia, for England against England, for every side. Um, and, and, you know, you just have to roll with those punches, I think. Well, what's going on with the balls? Because, uh, like... I mean, you touched on it last week. That they're trying it on. They're trying on every like five overs into the game. They're trying it, on, trying it on, trying to get a new ball constantly. It seems like whether that is just oh yeah, this one's not doing enough. Let's see if we can get a better one. Let's constantly just keep seeing if we can get a better one. But then eventually they don't fit through those rings. So something is happening so that they're not quite you know up to standard or whatever they're supposed to be. And surely they are supposed to last eighty overs. Yeah, look, I think they did identify some issues in the manufacturing process at uh, Duke's. Um, um, and uh, look, again, you, you can kind of read a little bit of the sort of press and, and whatnot, but the owner of, uh, of Duke's mentioned that, you know, through COVID it affected some of the tanneries where the leather came from and they had identified, you know, some, some, some issues that were, you know, not able to be really seen until the ball goes out onto the field and starts to actually perform. Yeah. Um, they believe they've rectified those um, clearly with the batch that they played within this series. Um, I, I think a little bit of it is Australia and England, interestingly, I think are probably um, two of the most scientific teams in terms of the way they try and get the ball to reverse. And, mm. you know, you'll often see um, both of those sides save a guy that you'd think would be bowling with a relatively new ball. Um, in order that when it does start to reverse relatively early, you know, and it used to be that, you know, cricket balls would reverse at, you know, 50, 60 overs. Yeah. They're now getting them to reverse at 25, yeah. 30 overs at times. So I think the science of the way that the teams are trying to sort of actually utilise a new ball, um, the Duke's very different to the Kookaburra. You know, Kookaburra is, you know, six to 12 overs. It, it really swings, swings with a new ball. With a new yep. ball up front. The Duke's doesn't. Yep. You actually wait till the lacquer comes off and it probably comes alive after six to 10 overs. Yep. And that's agree. where you get that. That, you know that swing so I, I definitely think they need to you know to potentially look at those those protocols but it's a, pl- a pretty big briefcase that they bring out so you know you you would hope that they've got enough of a selection of cricket balls particularly in that sort of you know 30 40, you know between 30 and 50 overs depending on the the conditions when you've aged that ball you know in a previous game or mm. a bunch of net sessions you would hope you'd find something comparable 
Um, probably the most difficult one is, you know, finding a ball that's, you know, six or seven overs old yeah. um, is probably, the, you know, the more the more difficult mm. thing. So they definitely need to look at it. But I think that for me, it was one of those things that's a vagary of the game, like you say, Bordy, with the overheads or um, sometimes a ball just does more than another ball. Um, and ultimately, it's in the hands of the umpires. And, you know, if they haven't followed the protocol properly or they've made an error, then they might have to, you know, stick their hand up and say, well, yeah, we probably could have taken another three or four minutes to ask for another box to be sent out. Or, yep. Yeah, I mean, if you take it to its logical extreme, an umpire could have 80 cricket balls sitting there, one's one over old, one's 80 overs old, and you've got every possible combination of X overs old in between, and then just go, well, that one's 33 overs old, we'll take that one out, we'll put that one in, and away, off you shoot. Uh, but, I mean, that's taking it to a logical extreme. Let's just live with the vagaries of cricket and move on. Awesome. Well, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the two small issues. Let, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit. And I think um, there's been a lot of these kind of conversations going on and they've probably centred on what's going to happen in the Ashes in four years' time. And I, th- I think you would need several crystal balls to get to mm-hmm. uh, to that stage. But 2024, so we're, yeah, we're probably, uh, what, a little over 18, 18 months, months away, months away like from, from an Australian um, Ashes summer. Um, I'm hoping, well, Australia should really kick off at the Gabba. I don't know if they've announced the order yet, but if they don't, they've got rocks in their head. Um, who do we think is going to be in that Australian team? And, and then I guess uh, we'll answer the same question for, for the English as well. Well, the Gabba is going to be an interesting one, just touching on that, because the Gabba is going to be out of action for a long, long time in the lead up to the Brisbane Olympics in 2032. So that ground's going to be torn down, uh, built into the Olympic Stadium. Really? Um, and yep, and then completely rebuilt back into a cricket ground somehow afterwards. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work um but yes that that whole so there won't be an ashes test at brisbane in 2024 oh, i don't think so right um, okay. and, and unless they find some other first class cricket ground take them eight, it, it, eight years to build it yeah so they have to they have to knock down the school that's on that block they have to knock down a bunch of buildings that are on that block uh, knock the stadium down can go right down to the like foundations and, and rebuild right, let's Olympics scratch stadium. the grounds the, let's the, talk about the, the, players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the olympics you, well, the, i just feel like the olympics is the biggest joke what, <clears throat> what what not the actual event but hosting an olympics seems like you just to destroy your country and all your infrastructure in it to host the yeah, olympics but yeah, anyway but that's probably a separate that's yeah, just spin off podcast re- yeah. re- regional victoria asked them about the, uh, the commonwealth games <laughs> that they just absolutely bollocks but anyway we'll move on we'll talk about cricket um where were we? Players. I think you were about right. to get that piece of paper right. out. Okay, I, ha- I have, uh, unfortunately for all the listeners and viewers, I have some prepared remarks and I have actually prepped this. So here is the um, Cricket Australia depth chart, Baldy's depth chart for the Ashes in 2024-25. So this is our test one. You have to talk into the microphone, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially for, for listeners at home. So here we go. Boy, oh boy. So I've I've actually prepped it. I've colour coded everybody. So the bats, the batters are in green, the all rounders are in orange, and the bowlers are in red. I'll, and I'm going to keep step this away up from today. my microphone and hold it for the, the, You just hold that up, Stuart. Uh, I'll a, talk the, you through it. There's a slight flaw in this plan that this doesn't really work for the listener. No, it doesn't work for the listener. But I'm going to talk through it. Effectively, if you have a look at this uh, at this depth chart. Everybody who's in the first team is going to be about 35,000 years old when we get to the next Ashes. And Stuart pointed it out the other day that I was rattling off a bunch of Australians that will still be around in 18 months' time. And then Stuart said, well, that looks very, very old. And I started to agree with him. And then I started looking for replacements. And there aren't many that are under 30. So even if you have a look at the death chart, Michael Knees is 34, Scott Boland is 35. Um, 
Australia's highest run scorer in the domestic um, one day uh, four day competition is going to be 35 by the time the Ashes starts. So um, Dan Hughes as a potential replacement for Dave Warner will be 35, 36 by the time it starts. So Australia have some, well, let's just say some unearthing to do of of talent uh, to to secure you know some some looking forward. I don't know depth chart replacement for when you know Kawaja Smith. Hazelwood, Stark, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, retire. Um, so I started to add some names down the right-hand side. So we start to look at guys like uh, Ollie Davies, who we when we spoke to Shane Bond a couple of seasons ago at the start of the BBL, he predicted him as a breakout character. Tanvir Sanger, likewise, who's just been picked in Australia's one-day squad. Mm. Those are the kinds of guys, Mackenzie Harvey, Will Sutherland, um, Ashley Chandrasinghe in Perth, uh, in, in Victoria, Teague Wiley in Perth. They're the guys that need to really step up over the next 18 months and make a mark for themselves in the in the build-up to this next Ashes series. If Australia roll out the same kind of team that they had this series in 18 months' time, it's going to be a very, very experienced side, probably one of the best, most experienced sides we've ever had. But, you know, that bowling attack, Stark 34-35, Hazelwood 34, Lyon 37, like that's a fairly old bowling attack to go five tests back to back to back against England. I'm going to put this down because yeah, it's very heavy. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say after all of that, I actually think your only changes are going to be your openers, aren't they? I, I think Kawaja will still be there at 37. Maybe. Um, he, he could still be there. The, the challenge for Australia is, uh, like England post Alistair Cook, post Andrew Strauss, there isn't a lot banging down the door that's scoring a lot of runs in domestic level other than Dan Hughes, who will be 35-36 when, when the next Ashes rolls around in Australia. Or you're looking at a guy who's 21-22 like Teague Wiley, Ashley Chandrasinghe is 21-22, or guys like Marcus Harris and Matt Renshaw, who in their limited, admittedly limited, test careers to date are averaging in the mid-20s or low 30s. So there's not a lot there that is a proven commodity for Australia going forward in the opening states. And yeah. the, the segue is actually quite nicely to a question that came in on, on Facebook uh, from a uh, – it's about David Warner, so don't hold that against him because he's a very good man, Simon. Um, the He basically wanted to know what you think about uh, whether Warner actually justified his Ashes selection. And, um, yeah, I think that for, when, when I thought about that question – I think all of those names that you just named made me think, like, what what were the other alternatives? Well, the other alternative was Dan Hughes, who averaged 60 in the domestic Sheffield Shield season last year um, and has been tr- tearing up trees for a couple of years now. Um, he's, he's performed very, very well. If you're asking me the question, did David Warner meet the selectors' expectations? I think they probably did. Did he perform... Um, around about his overseas average since COVID. Yep. Did he not score 100? Yep. Like, <laughs> if, if you have a look at the last five or six years of him touring overseas, that's about what you get with David Warner. You got a couple of 50s, you got some scores, you got a bunch of scores past 20, which is a lot better than he did in the last, last Ashes series. But really, that's about what you have to expect for, from David Warner overseas. Would we lo- have liked to have seen more than that? Absolutely. But, you know... Averaging thirty, I can't believe it is is about what I kind of had expected to get from from David Warner in this overseas Ashes tour because that's what he's delivered for us overseas for the last five or six years. Yeah, Certainly post COVID, not a ringing endorsement, is it? But mm. and, yeah, as you say, and, and board, he's obviously retired or is in, in, uh, I guess intending to retire in that 
Sydney Test match against Pakistan in the in the new year if he makes it that far. Other than him, is there anyone that you would you know at this stage actually draw a solid line through and say there's no way they play in in, in two years two years time or eighteen months time? I don't think so. I mean, Lyon will be 37, yeah. and I think he's probably the one that might go, you know what, actually, I've got a big calf injury now. I'm only playing one form of cricket. It's going to be a tough road back from here. He might he might not make it back, and, 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 and you know, that depends on how his injury goes. He might be the only one that we draw a line under. A lot of people would probably have drawn a line through Usman Khawaja if he hadn't had such a good series this series. He's a great performer at home. I think he's going to have a great summer against Pakistan and the West Indies. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he'll be ready to go in 18 months' time. And as long as he's scoring runs and enjoying being in that Australian setup, I, I think he's, you know, I think he's still locked in. Before we move to England, the, the, the other question I had is, do you think Pat Cummins will still be the captain? I'm not sure. I, I think that very much depends on, on how Travis Head goes in the next 18 months. I think he's probably the guy alongside Cameron Green who's probably being earmarked um, for that Australian captaincy long term. The question is, of course, for, for Travis Head, can he get over the weakness that, that kind of has been shown in this Ashes series, which is that he didn't really handle the short pitch bowling very well. Um, not every side will be able to exploit that as well as England did, and not every set of conditions will be con as conducive to having that exploited uh, through, through you know, pitches and whatever. If he can master that, I think he's the natural kind of successor to the Australian captaincy. I think he's going to be in his early 30s by the, the time this next Ashes series rolls around. Cameron Green is another one who's been mentioned, but as we've seen in the last six months, you know, Mitch Marsh did enough that his... Um, place in the team Cameron Green's place in the team wasn't assured by the end of the they season they can't make Green captain in 18 months that I, would be I, I, absolute I don't think madness so. no I think it would be I think it would be madness and right. you well, know especially when Marsh is your premier all-rounder and, and and Marsh is the Australian captain going to South Africa on tour to, you yeah. know, when, when Pat Cummins is, is not playing he's got a wrist injury so you know there is no clear leadership successor to Pat Cummins in this Australian side other than Travis Head and prior to the Ashes series, I would have said he'd be the natural successor. But I think we really need to see how he bounces back from that Ashes tour and particularly how he handles the challenges that are going to be thrown at him with short pitch bowling going forward. And, you know, West Indies and, and Pakistan have got two reasonable pace attacks. They're going, to be, they're going to be trying it out for sure. Yeah, I think the Cummins thing is interesting because it's, hard, but it's a hard job, isn't it? Hard job to be captain in all three formats. Hard job to be captain as a, as a bowler for an extended period of time. So yeah, it's one, one to watch. Mm. Binksy, I'm sure there's there's questions for you around England. We've obviously just seen Stuart Broad and, and Moeen Ali, although Moeen Ali was not someone we, you know, six months ago thought would be in this series anyway. But early thoughts on, on who you think might be changing by the time we get to, to those Ashes in Australia? Yeah, well, look, I don't think James Anderson makes the the plane. He'll be nearly forty three um, at that point, I think. So, I th I think you know, even though he's certainly from a fitness perspective, apparently still doing everything he can on the yo yos, and you know, is living a, a clean lifestyle and all that kind of jazz. You can't, you know, you can't think that he's going to be there. I think from a bowling perspective, I'd also have a question mark around Chris Wokes. Uh, has had overseas. a couple of well, a overseas and, and b just from an injury perspective. He, he's you know he's had um, a few a few issues and I think he's a three format player as well or is a three format player for England so I can't necessarily see him um, being there um, I think the good thing for England is they do have some pretty decent uh, stocks of fast bowlers I think the question mark really is around 
who's going to be you know who's going to be fit mark wood's probably going to be obviously closer to the end of his uh, end of his career and i think what they'll want to do is take two or three guys that you know that can bowl at that pace and there's some people around the game that you know i think will definitely be in that um you know in that shake-up joffre archer is one um that you if know he's you, not full-time contract if, if he's mumbai. not full-time contracted to mumbai but you know i think you know if you if you asked him he probably wants to play a bit more test cricket i think he's probably you know would feel he's got some unfinished business from that perspective mm. so i think if they can get wood uh yeah wood and probably um archer you know fit that you know they would be on the plane if they're you know if they're still performing to those um that, those powers i then think where it becomes interesting is i think ollie robinson is almost a natural replacement i think for stewart uh, for Stuart Broad mm. and then there's a bunch of guys that have you know have been in and around um, that squad so I think the likes of Matthew Potts uh, Josh Tong I think probably makes the plan if he can stay uh, can stay fit and then there's probably the next you know the next batch so I think uh, Bryden Cast has played some one day international cricket yep. with Durham uh, Gus Atkinson um, at Surrey who bowls you know high 80s and looks like he's that kind of bowler that's going to succeed and then I think uh, th there's also guys like Sam Curran that probably come into the mix and he might be that switch in for for Wokes as a you know almost a like uh, a like for like from a batting perspective, look, I, I've got you've got to say I think that at this stage on form and on the way that they've played, Zach Crawley, uh, Ben Duckett, Joe Root, Harry Brook. Um, you, you it's funny, it's, it's so funny, isn't it? Like all these guys, yeah. Pope and Pope yeah. even as well. You yeah. kind of thought, you know, twelve months ago that these guys would not have test well, careers. Well, Pope's probably the one that's you know almost the most under risk now, given the, the way that some of these guys have, have gone. Johnny Bairstow will be pretty old, so I th I'd expect that we might see a change of keeper. Um, for for then, but again, Johnny Bairstow will probably come and prove you wrong. Mm. Um, and, and and I think that you know the the permutation there isn't a Ben Folks conversation. It's actually Ben Folks's understudy at sorry Jamie James Smith. Oh, not uh, James Root. So I think yeah, I think Jamie Smith is is one that they've definitely got their eye on. And then James Root as well. And the the, the thing with James Root, I think, is he could be there as a batter mm. and also as a keeper. I think as a keeper, he's you know still relatively young and, and probably got a little bit to do to kind of get his craft um, where it goes. And then the big question mark for me is, is the captain, is, is Ben Stokes. Um, you know, he's held together with uh, Elastoplast and, and Araldite <laughs> at the moment. Um, interesting, he was bowling a few off spinners in the nets. I just wonder whether we've got a, a slight Colin Miller situation in terms of, uh, you know, he, he's the kind of guy and it's bloody annoying, isn't it? He hits a golf ball a long way. He's probably great <laughs> at karaoke. Mm. He can probably cook. And then he's just going to decide that he's going to bowl some little tweakers mm. and he'll probably be, you know, uh, fantastic at that, in, you know, given, uh, you know, six or seven months in the nets. So look, j joking aside on that, I, I genuinely do think that's an option that he, he probably has another string to his bow and tries to add that um, little bit of, yeah, little bit if, of if he uh, can't If he can't bowl and he just has to play as a batter, where, where do you see him in... In the England setup, is he still a, a lock in that side? Oh, look, absolutely. If he if he has got the appetite, and I think what we're talking about is England are twelve months into or fourteen months now into the Ben Stokes cycle. So yeah. if you kind of look at it, four, three and a half, four years is is about where international. Uh, captains kind of get to there's a few exceptions you know we've came Williamson went on for a lot longer than that mm. um, but if you look if you look at the guys that have been really successful at it that's about the shelf life is a you know a four-year cycle so he's going to be right on the cusp of that but again I think um, because he missed out on that series in uh, would it have been 2017 when he had the 
the, the affray charge. Um, so I think because he missed out on that, I think you know he would like to have a you know a, another another crack in Australia potentially. Mm. Um, so look, because yeah, last one was void, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, twenty twenty. Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, so didn't count. Yeah, um, tongue in cheek for for that, of course. <laughs> um, so look, I, I think that that's the question. Yeah, the question for me. I think if you play it out four years, it, you know, it's almost impossible. Yeah. yeah. Um, to predict, but. Um, yeah, certainly from a batting perspective, Stokes on his form over the last you know eighteen months, he's averaging well above fifty. Mm, he's been good. He's you know he's in he's in the side, um, and Joe Root looks as if he's got a new you know a new lease of life. I think he's got uh, I think he's got Sachin in his sights for for runs scored. Um, if he yeah if he maintains that maintains that hunger. Heard it here first. That is a bold prediction. That is a bold. They play bold so prediction. many tests. It's uh, yeah. If yeah. he wants to twenty tests a year. For the next four years, that's they play seven, yeah, seventeen roughly. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, near <coughs> it's, as it's lots. near as damn it, yeah. Um, should we move on from the ashes, given yeah. that it's finished? Yeah, um, let's <laughs> <laughs> let, let's talk. Um, yeah, let's talk about. I, I guess that we've kind of penned it as a World Cup watch. Um, we're still a little bit away from the tournament. Um, we do we want to cover off what the hell's going on, like? I've got a barbecue in the diary for October, um, but the BCCI can't seem to get their you know grounds and fixtures um, confirmed. Would that know. would that be acceptable if it was any other country hosting? I don't think so, because people would have booked. So I mean, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, the BCCI is still cha- you know they, it took them a long time to name the schedule or to to announce all the dates and you know fixtures and all of that. I feel like. Almost immediately after they announced it, they changed the Pakistan uh, India game. Now they're talking about changing the Pakistan England game. They've, in order to change the Pakistan India game, they had to change Pakistan Sri Lanka. Mm. And you know, I guess uh, there were a lot. Of, there was a lot of conversations about changing the Pakistan games for political reasons. But these these are not for political reasons. These are because they clash with various festivals or different things that you would have thought maybe they kind of considered when they were got a calendar and had a organizing look. everything so yeah I, I don't know i mean i'd be massively frustrated if i was going to the tournament were was had you know been considering buying tickets i'm sure some people have bought you know booked in hotels and accommodation and all that kind of stuff well, so even from a playing perspective you would have thought a lot of the teams would have started to do their scouting their matchups their what mm. do we need for these grounds uh, and that plays into the squad selections as well doesn't it if you know you know you're going to be playing most of your games in a venue that favors spin you might you might you might pick that spinning all-rounder rather than another seeming all-rounder and, and that's hugely impactful in a tournament where yeah. you're only allowed to take 15 players to begin with like yeah. the, the page before the page of my <laughs> test depth chart is my one day depth chart for the world cup oh, good. That we're, I've getting that out again. we're gonna get it out again oh good um but i won't i won't put it up on the screen but <laughs> That my, my point is, it's very, very easy to get to 15. And if you would not want to go to India where there's so many different conditions and be able to have a lot of variety that you can throw at opposition, that where you play becomes super, super important. Yeah. Super important. Um, and it's really unfortunate that, you know, India have not yet finalised that schedule. And it's it's terrible for the fans who... And if anyone has read the article in Crick Info this week, it's a really, really good article about the plight of the Indian fan trying to get into Indian grounds and watch cricket in yeah. India. It's a very, very different experience to almost anywhere else in the world. And it, it's shaping up that this World Cup will be even more challenging for Indian fans from a, 
affordability perspective. Yeah. From They've got a, to go to the ground to get a paper ticket the day before. It's bloody ridiculous. And you can't get it the day of the game. There's a, there's a lot of challenges yeah. with going to watch cricket in India. We're, we're very, very privileged here in that we don't have those same kinds or same levels of challenge, certainly not, not on that magnitude. Let's go from, I guess, a bad news World Cup story in terms of that scheduling and a potential good news story for New Zealand. We've seen on the socials, uh, there's hope in your eye, Liffy, isn't there? It's a tease, there? isn't it? There's it's a hope tease in that, your eye. Well, look, there is, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, I just keep, th- keep thinking of the, the Jim Carrey scene, isn't it? And, and Dumb and Dumber, you know, you're telling me there's a chance that, like, yeah, when we see Kane Williamson batting in the nets, in his kit, and you know what I actually enjoyed is he's got a ball in his hand and he's just twirling it. Mm. You know we don't see him bowl very much anymore. But long sleeves on already? No, 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 no. Hey, hey, <laughs> we don't see him bowl very much anymore. But you know the fact that he he's just instinctively spinning it and mm. off spin uh, you know, did get me excited. But I, I don't know. I mean, look, I I do think that he he's already said he, he's going to this the, the side has already said they're taking him to this tournament whether he's fit or not he's going to be on the plane and be around the squad yeah write the team song take the guitar exactly that'd yeah. be really valuable but um I don't think he'll be there I, I you know if I had to bet I I'd, I'd still don't think he'll actually play a game in the tournament you know the thing is that you look at all of those, you know, an ACL injury. I went back and th- when I saw that footage, I was like, okay, check the date. Like, what date did this injury happen? Because, you know, it's always sort of nine months, isn't it? What Nine months is the figure they always talk about with ACLs. And it's the end of March. So it just, it feels like we're going to see him at the end of this year or this, Christmas you know, New Year, around New Year time. And <clears throat> as much as I, like... Yes, there is. There is. When I saw that footage, there was hope in my eyes, and there was. I was thinking, oh, please, just if if it can happen, it would be amazing. But yeah, I think if I had to bet my life on it, I would still say we don't we don't mm. see him back. I think the exciting thing again from uh, seeing that footage and um, seeing Gary Stead come on and talk a little bit after in the you know carefully curated uh, social media piece was that they both talked about how this little break has not. Uh, reinvigorated his hunger but he's the hunger's still there to yeah. come and play for New Zealand and I guess when you have a, a challenging injury like this is we have a long period of time away from the game and you have to think do I actually want to go through this recovery I mean he's only 33 but I think 33 today actually as we record this well, happy birthday Kane um, but yeah I think it's exciting to see yeah. him back and um, yeah hopefully if he, if he can be I'd love to see him in that World Cup, but if he can be fit and rearing to go against uh, South Africa and Australia for our home summer in the tests, I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that. We'll finish with India's struggles against the West Indies in the, in the white ball game, but we've got to come to Baldy's uh, not physical depth charts this time, Michael. Oh, okay. Um, you sure? I'm happy to hold it up. No, don't hold it up. Don't hold it up. I, I, I have done a lot of work on this because, get like I said, I, I started working on it at the weekend and, and what I quickly realised is Australia have got a lot of questions to answer getting ready for India in this World Cup and the naming of the squad to South Africa and um, in, in for T20s and ODIs gives us some indication of the way the selectors are thinking and you, you tease that at the top. Yeah. Can, um, I, can I ask you a question before you, before you go into, I guess, the depth chart? Mm. There's no reason that they needed to name this as their provisional World Cup squad. Yeah, it feels early, isn't it? The, mm. the fact that they've kind of said this is for the upcoming tour and it's also provisionally our World Cup yeah, squad. It's a bit weird. Is that not 
backing That's yourself into a little bit of a corner. A huge corner. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there's guys that are that I would be having in my, well, I've got on the page that I would be having a real look at that, that aren't in that list, um, particularly when it comes to some of the, the batting spots. I think Australia, if you have a look at the squads that have been named, there aren't that many batters there, but there's a ton of all-rounders. So... The question I've it's got has been with, the formula for Australia recently it, in white ball cricket, though, it, hasn't it? It it has. I mean, it has, Stu. But if there's an injury to one of those batters, there's not a lot of cover there. So they've named from memory. They've named in the ODI squad. They've named Warner, Head, and Smith, oh, a couple yeah. of keepers. Yeah, and, and that's and that's in, basically English, it. And, and about and carry, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they've named a ton of all rounders. So they've named four all rounders. They've named Marsh, Stoinis, Maxwell, and um, and Cameron Green. Now, those guys are really effectively fighting for three spots, I think. I think one of them is going to miss out because if you're going to go to India, you have to take two spinners, I would say, which means Ashton Agar's probably in the mix there at some point, as well as Adam Zampa. They've taken Tanvir Sanger to South Africa. Take as take at least, at least two spinners. I guess Maxwell covers... Maxwell, Maxwell is providing cover. I think they're looking at guys like, well, can Travis Head provide some cover? Mm. Can Steve Smith provide some cover? So there's some really important pieces of that... Happy if Steve Smith was bowling to me in a in a World Cup game if I well, was the opposition. But well, anyway, that, that, carry on. That, that's one of that's one of the questions, right? Is is how do we get our fifty overs in? Because there are a lot of all rounders there, but can you rely on any one of them to bowl you ten overs and take you know an extra batter or one fewer bowler or whatever? The the challenge Australia have is that second point down the bottom there, Stu. The spin all rounder is not a batting spin all rounder. It's either Maxwell or Agar as the second spinner. And Agar is too high at seven or eight, in my view. He's a great number nine. Like, he averages, I think, 20 with the bat and ODI cricket, strike rate at 85. But really, if you're relying on him to bat at eight or even at seven, if you want to take five specialist bowlers, it feels like Australia go too light into the batting in that. In, in that. So there's, there's lots of balance questions for Australia, whereas New Zealand have a guy like Ravindra or like Santner, who can be that second spin option, but also can bat at seven and be quite handy in that area. So yeah. that's a real key for me is, is how we answer that question. I think, you look, this might sound harsh and I'm sure I'll get proven wrong, but I think the other thing for Australia is Alex Carey isn't a gun batter who keeps. Mm. He's, you know, a, a really good wicket keeper. Yep. Um, but, he, you know, when you then compare him to a Joss Butler or a Rishabh Pant um, or a Quinton de Kock, he's not giving you that, um, you know, that, that absolute he's not opening the bat in and, and he's not explosive and he's not explosive well, even a Tom Latham yeah you know he's not a rock he wouldn't be selected as a batter in that side would yeah. he? I, would, I would completely agree and that's why I've got question marks on guys like Josh Philippe who's not in that side yeah. Josh Inglis is but I'm, I'm like those are the questions that are that are um, that are still kind of wandering around inside this kind of pinball machine that is my brain and why I wrote it all down when I looked at that side and um you know, obviously, look at the spin. Tanvir Sanger, I, I, um, I think you touched on it before in the, earlier in the episode. I remember when we, yeah, twenty nineteen. I think when we first talked to Shane Bond, and he mentioned Tanvir at that time. They obviously must think a lot of him if they're picking him in this provisional squad, because mm. he hasn't played cricket for a year, has he? He's been injured, so yeah, he has. They they must really rate him, and um, it kind of got me thinking. They either really rate him highly, which I'm sure they do, young you know young player around the squad, mm. but also like. I don't know. I think that sort of says a bit about the depth of their spin, I think, as well, surely. I, I think what it also highlights is the depth of the big bash, I think, has diminished over the course of the last two or three years. I, I know we've talked about this, Bordy, um, off air, but 
it felt at one point as if it was the the next cab off the rank in terms of mm. strength of tournament to the IPL. But I think that, you know, the salary cap and the overseas players that have come in and, and probably just the proliferation of other um, other options yeah. have really diminished that big bash, which probably means you can't tell the form of some of those guys mm. um, because, that you know, they've performed, let's be honest, against, you know, some guys that have come onto the scene, uh, but out of club cricket, um, you know, there's been a few of those kind of stories, and, yeah, they have, and yeah. a few guys that are kind of broken onto, yeah, broken onto that big bash scene. So I think that that doesn't help Australia, um, particularly because again, they've not had the same amount of players in the IPL um, that they have historically, um, historically as well. Um, let's come on to India. So uh, dominant in the Test match tour of uh, West Indies, which you would have really f- foreseen, I think, given that the strength of West Indian Red Bull cricket. But they've got some worries in the white ball game, haven't they? Yeah, maybe. Should we, maybe they should, maybe they need to disband India. India needs to go the go the separate ways in states and actually uh, try and try and revitalise their cricket. But uh, no, all joking aside, I, I don't think they have huge concerns. I mean, I I always think to myself, uh, we shouldn't probably read too much into you know two months out, three months out, white ball kind of series that actually are in a different country and have different uh, scenarios with probably different squads. But I do think kind of all the things that we've talked about a lot with Indian cricket, particularly in their white ball setup, all of the the challenges that they have to actually just pick a squad Mm. and pick a bunch of players, I do think that has problems for them because, yeah, when we think about these other sides, and even we're just talking about Australia, yes, there are, um, you know, depth chart battles in a few different areas. But they're quite limited areas. Whereas actually when you when I look at that India squad, they could pick fifteen different combinations of a World Cup squad and I wouldn't really bat an eyelid because there's you know, five, six different spinners they could choose, there's all these different opening bat options. And I, I think that does I don't know, it must muck up your your own perspective as a cricketer about what your role is and what your expectations yeah. are when, you know, when it you, comes to you, the, the you crunch. Know, you know that's true. It's it's what's my role and do I have any certainty in that? And that's what England have done so well over the last 12 months. They've given their players certainty over their role and certainty over their spots in the side. I'm sure that there are players in that Indian squad and have been for the last 18 months looking over their shoulder at the next up-and-coming batter or bowler or spinning all-rounder and, and thinking to themselves, shit, well, if I go out and don't have a great game today, I'll be dropped and I might not get another opportunity again. And that absolutely affects your mental performance. Well, you look at it. Ashwin, Jadeja, Chahal, Akshar, Kuldeep. There's five just rattled off spinners. How many of them are you going to take to the World Cup? They can't all be in that Two? squad. Two? Maybe three. Oh, you know, batters, Jaiswal, Rohit, Gil, Kale Rahul, Ishan Kishan, Kohli, Skies, Sanju Sampson... Hardik. Hardik. There's, you know, Tilak Varma's been one of the bright lights of mm. this uh, West Indies tour for them. So, like, Guy Quad. Like, yeah. the names just go on and on. But, yeah, well, how, how, do they, how do they get this side into a, into a unit? And I don't think the way they go about things by picking 15 different squads for every single tour is... It, is, doesn't, build, it doesn't build that team team ethos, that team identity, does it, really? I don't think so. Although now the, the voices playing inside my head are just the voices, the same kind of stuff that we were saying before the uh, Australia won the T20 World Cup. So now, That was a different scenario, though. That was Australia trying to figure out if they had a cricket team or not. This is India trying to figure out which of their seven cricket teams to pick <laughs> and, 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 put together, and put together a squad. 
Yeah, I think the benefit they have, you talk about those spinners, Ravage Jaja, Ashwin, um, Akshar to a certain extent, all of them can play a role with the bat as well. You know, they're, they're all good enough to yeah, bat. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. all good enough to bat number seven, aren't they? Um, you, you would have thought maybe <clears throat> maybe even Jadeja five or, or, or six. So <laughs> that probably just helps them to maybe get three spinners, four yep. spinners um, in, totally. in, into that um, into that side. But yeah, it's an embarrassment of batting riches, isn't it? And then, yeah, certainly from a matchups perspective, how do they get that right? You know, do they want the left arm option? Um you know which set you know which seamers are they, are they gonna mm. gonna go with but yeah all, all to yeah all to play for but at least they know what grounds they're probably playing at um because they've probably got the, the the inside word haven't they it's exciting to be talking about this world cup i yeah grinning grinning just it's, thinking about it actually I, you know you guys have been grinning through all this ashes but this world cup is yeah, you, exciting you, you, you love a 50 over tournament i do you I do, do love a 50 over tournament um, let's finish the podcast. Um, we've had, uh, yeah, I guess a, a requesting to give a little bit of a shout out for, uh, yeah, a charity uh, cricket event coming up. Stu, do you want to give the details? Yeah, so actually just two little things. Uh, we had an, um, I put a shout out for questions on our socials and we had an actually uh, a brilliant question that we haven't covered, which is uh, that we talked a, bit, a little bit about last week about kind of tongue-in-cheek England saving test cricket and uh, baseball and all of that kind of stuff and we we gave it a bit of uh, voice then but actually we decided that someone asked that same question how would we save test cricket and we decided it was such a good question that we might actually put a lot more thought into it and try and make it a, a full episode on its own and actually sort of discuss those well, things. And, and we'll, we'll release it to the boards first and see if we can get some money for it, shall we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. There's, yeah. there's some consulting fees in that in that podcast for sure. Uh, but, but what you're referencing before, yeah, we had a um, one of our listeners, Cam, who um, yeah been sort of with us from from the early days. So yeah, thanks for, for thanks for the support there. But has reached out just to let us know about a, a fundraiser coming up for for Tanifar Cricket Club. Um, basically, they they I think did it last year as well. 24, net, 24 hour net session, uh, go and bowl and bat twenty thousand deliveries. They're hoping to raise twenty thousand dollars, and all the money will go to charity. And, and this year, it's uh, a charity called the Swan Nest, who provide children with therapy support and advocacy. So yeah, awesome, awesome to be doing these kind of things, uh, especially in you know difficult times and stuff at, at the moment. So. Stuart, how can they get involved? How listeners? Uh, we, we will chuck a, a link to the Give a Little page in our show notes and, and uh, yeah, throw it on the socials a bit closer to the time that doing the event down uh, around about the end of August. So, yeah, we'll throw all the details up. But, yeah, keep an eye out on our socials and keep an eye out on our – look in the show notes and you can find all the, the Give a Little details there. Anything you can support would be uh, much appreciated, I'm sure. Fantastic. That's a lot of cricket balls to hit, isn't it? It is. A lot of cricket balls. That's it for the show as we mentioned we are going to come to you with how we save test cricket we've got a world cup coming up uh, we've got an australian one day tour we've got plenty of cricket we've got kane williamson's weekly he's playing soon yeah kane williamson's weekly injury watch as well <laughs> um all, all coming on the top of the podcast but for tonight it's good night god bless from us here in auckland we'll speak to you soon good night good night